Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. It is a beautiful, beautiful day in Perth. Uh, of course, we had Roger Hayden. Uh, launching the Up Football Club, which is what Fremantle will be known as for the two weeks of Sir Doug Nichols' round. And of course, they have a historic game coming up against the NAM Football Club, who uh, will be Melbourne rebranded as they were last year. That will take place at the MCG in round 11 after Up has played Geelong at Optus Stadium in round 10. But right now, joining us on the show, Code Sports' Daniel Cherney is a regular on our show on Monday. We usually talk through the results on the East Coast. I think we'll have a chat a bit about the two WA teams as well today. Daniel, welcome to the show. Morning, Jeff. Good to be with you. Mate, um, three at the top, three at the bottom. That's what it feels like at the moment in the AFL. But what's your take on the competition at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I certainly can see where you're coming from with that. I mean, I put it this way. I think the three at the bottom are a long way further further back than the three are three at the top. I assume you're referring to, uh, to Brisbane, Melbourne, and, and, and Collingwood are ahead of the rest. So I, I think that the top four, um, top eight, top ten even is a bit tighter than, than uh, the bottom three. The bottom three are far and away, you know, a long way clear. You know, I, I, I couldn't tell you who the fourth worst team in it is. It's probably the Giants. At the moment, um, but, you know, I think the Giants, um, on average, are probably a six, albeit they lost to West Coast. But I, I think they're, they're probably a five to six goal better side than um, than those other three overall. Um, maybe maybe three or four. But um, yeah, no, it is, it is increasingly a case of the haves and the have-nots, as it uh, as it tends to get tends to be. Is it uncomfortable for you that West Coast play Hawthorne this week, two weeks ahead of the mid-season rookie draft? And the loser probably gets the prize of the number one mid-season rookie draft pick. Not really, because I don't think a mid-season rookie draft pick is that important. Um, <laughs> to be fully frank, like I mean, at the end of the day, it's you know, it, it's it's a, it's a rookie pick. These are guys that were bypassed last year. You know, you know, maybe they've shot up a bit, but in effect, I mean, I don't think if any of these guys were in the national draft, they'd be picked in the top thirty or forty. Um, so. Not really. Um, you know, I think it'd be different if it was we're talking about Harley Reid at the end of the season, national draft. Even so, um, you know, it's not like you get a bonus extra pick or anything like that. Um, and I'm not sure even if, um, you know, I'm talking about Jack Bull, I'm not even sure if both those clubs would take the same player in the mid in the, uh, the mid-season rookie draft. So, no, look, I think tanking and all that, you know, there is a discussion around that generally. But I think, you know, since, since the system changed in, what was it, 2000 and... Uh, you know, since they removed the priority pick and LBB automatic priority pick um, for that bonus pick, um, the whole dynamic around that has changed. So that yes, you, in theory, you, you know, losing gets you a pick or so ahead, but it doesn't. It's not a game changer anymore, and, and certainly not in, in the mid-season. I mean, we look at the mid-season number one pick, and Jai Cully, um, really good player. Um, obviously, terrible to see him out with a knee, but 
Jacob Edwards has taken a pick one in um, in 2021 for North Melbourne hasn't played a game and you know doesn't look not looks a mile off it at the moment hasn't even been named regularly as an emergency um, at a young rebuilding list and you know, he was highly touted that year. You look back two years earlier there was no mid season draft in 2020 because of COVID but in 2019 that the first one in a long time uh, it was Josh DeLuca um, you know taken by Carlson and he was gone by the end of the year so these are not going to be stars of the game they're, they're role players at best I think for the most part. Um, so I don't think it's a massive deal, no. Who is the best of the three at the top, do you think? Who do you like the best? Uh, look, I think at the moment I would have Collingwood as the number one seed. I just think they've played the most um, dominant, attractive footy um, at their best this year. But like that's not with any great conviction. Uh, but I just think the way they've been getting it done. You know, they've got players to come back as well. Um, just Obviously, they've got these intangibles late in games that have been winning in games. I think they're probably just fractionally ahead of Melbourne. That's like, probably how the two seed. Uh, albeit I had Melbourne as my pre-season premiership favourites. and I don't know, I'm contradicting myself at the moment, but probably you know, if I had to put money on it, I'd probably still put money on Melbourne for the flag, but um, you know, I think they're going pretty nicely. Um, you know, they're not None of these teams are completely dominant. They're all, um, you know, they've all had their dips in form, but um, they're going well. Brisbane are going nicely too, but you know, I think the jury, unfortunately, with Brisbane, I mean, they home and away games has not been their issue. You know, they, they win 14, 15 home and away games um, almost automatically. They, you know, under, under Chris Fagan in the last four or five years, and it, you know, the jury will be out on them until the finals. Um, and you know, with Geelong, we've had a lot out on. on um, I think they've been playing some pretty good footy the last five or six weeks. They've had a lot of guys out on Friday night, and still almost won. So I think they probably still deserve to be the, in that fourth seed spot, albeit Port Adelaide are playing some really good footy themselves and, um, and they're going to be you know, tough to stop to, to the top four um, later in the year. I get the feeling that something's changed at Brisbane, Daniel. I, I really do. And I, I know exactly what you're saying. And really, you're right. We have to sit and wait until probably September and, and see what happens then. I just get the feeling that this Brisbane is different. Of course, they still have to find out when they run out in the ground whether they get good Joe or bad Joe. They got good Joe on the weekend, and it's quite compelling, isn't it? It is, and, you know, it's, it's ups and downs, and really Joe, what is his third season at Brisbane, and we've sort of seen bits and pieces of this throughout those three. He, was injured, he had some injuries last year as well, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's just it's hard to know, isn't it, with Joe Danaher? He's just sort of he's that inherently mercurial player. Maybe a bit of the nature of the position he plays in as well. It can be a bit of feast or famine. Obviously, at his best, he's a magnificent player and, and was so, again, against his former side on Saturday night at the Gabba. But, you know, that's got to be tampered by the fact that Essendon are only a middling side, probably at best. And, and then the fact that they uh, were, were severely undermanned in terms of their key defensive stock. So, you know, it's um, it was... A, he played really well, but it's still a bit of a soft kill. Um, and unfortunately, you know, like I have sympathy for Brisbane in this respect because, um, you know, and you can only beat who you play against. But I just, it is hard to trust them, and, and I, they're going to they're going to be really hard to trust until, you know, I, unless they can. Be, to be honest, I don't have the fixture on the top of my head, but you know, unless they can start winning consistently away against um, other top six sides in, in the back half of the home and away season. I'm not going to trust them until the finals um, because they have not earned that right to be trusted on the back of the last um, three or four years. Where have you got Adelaide now? It's There's something 
impressive about their system, I feel. It's um, they're, hard, they're hard to play against, if you like, if, for want of a better term. And um, they saw, certainly bought the Saints undone yesterday. Yeah, they put the Saints to the sword yesterday, Duff. They were brilliant. Uh, their ball movement, the ferocity on the ball, they play in a, such an aggressive round. But it's funny because I thought they were... That's one thing on the, the early days of Matthew Nix. I thought they were actually quite defensively resolute, but they sort of they really didn't have that flair. But, gee, they, they have found it in the form of four or five players in particular. I mean, Jordan Dawson has just become a magnificent player in the AFL. I mean, he's really, I think he's a top 20 player in the league, you know, easily. Um, obviously, Isaac Rowe, what he can do. Josh Rochelle, he's playing nicely. Luke Pedler has added a, a, a nice ingredient to that side as well. Um, and then they sort of have guys like Brody Smith and Rory Laird who can just continue to contribute. Taylor Walker, obviously not, not yet spent fourth by any stretch when you see him pop up and kick five goals yesterday against the Saints. And they were the first side to really um, poke holes through St Kilda's defensive uh, setup. I mean, it was, it was brutal. Um, and the Saints were probably a bit off their game and were very fumbly and, I don't know, maybe looked tired for a stretch, but they just looked off. And Dougal Howard was uh, was was really uh, was really poor. It has to be said, but uh, I think I think it was a, an ominous sign. And they've now done this a few times. Um, you know, a couple of those narrow defeats, particularly the one to Collingwood, um, really hurt. You know, losing to Richmond in round two, that coughing up that lead against the Giants. I mean, Adelaide had a lot of if they had a lot of um, you know could have won games this year. Though they they could easily be in the top four um, with, with had they just closed out a few of those games, whereas now they're still in a battle for the top eight. But look, I think right now, given how poorly Carlson are playing and how well Adelaide are playing, um, and the fact that Sydney don't look really likely, Frio are, are, are coming a bit, but, you know, the jury's out on them. I think Adelaide, given their, you know, possession is nine-tenths of the law this time of year, I, I think they deserve to be the favourites to, to make the eight. I think, I think you, were, you were predicting a top eight at the end of the year. I think the Crows would probably be in it. Yeah, I would have had them in my eight, you know, at um, round one, interestingly enough, because we saw them over here in the preseason. They look really good. And then you're right, they had a couple of um, they had a couple of minor stumbles, I guess, early in the season and uh, probably lost a couple of close ones that they um, that they could have won. I, I get the feeling that they're in there. I get the feeling that they're one of the best eight teams in the competition um, at this stage. Where have you got the dogs, Daniel? Coming along nicely, and I, you know, it's been a bit of an under the radar story. Um, but they won six of seven, and uh, all credit to them. You know, they're not thumping sides. You know, they're really not putting. I mean, they put Freo to the sword, but um, they haven't done that too many other times. Even you know, against Hawthorne and the Giants, sort of sides that they really should be beating, they made reasonably heavy work of some of these games. But they have been winning. Luke Beveridge, to his credit, you know, he hated the feedback of those first two rounds in terms of their 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 struggles with the run and. Jimmy Tools, and he sort of turned it around that game and the game style. You know, put Jason Johannesson back to back to defence, which has been I mean, hard to call it a masterstroke when the guy won an Aussie medal in that position. But you know, um, it's a good good move to put him back there. Uh, so they're playing well um, uh, without completely dominating. So I think they've got some levers still. You know, I, I think it's hard to quite trust them yet either because um, you know until they start consistently matching it with. You know, I, I know they beat Brisbane in round three, but um, until you start seeing them do it against Melbourne, Geelong, Collingwood, uh, even Port Adelaide, I, I think you've got to have a few reservations about them. But, you know, they've, they've done really well to fight, as I said, fight their way back into this season. Again, they should now make the top eight um, from, from the position they're in. There's no reason why, why they shouldn't from, from six and three. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, just, they're just going on nicely. Um, and it's a 
it's, a, it's one of these under-the-radar stealth sort of efforts where they've, um, they've just ticked off wins without really hitting any great heights. But uh, there's worse positions to be in than that, than that. And the Blues are the flip side of that. Did you see anything? I mean, there were times when they competed strongly uh, in that game against the Dogs. Um, there were times when they came at the Dogs in that game. But it's fascinating to see a team with that midfield kicking to that forward line scoring as poorly as Carlson is at the moment. It was a very unusual game on, on every uh, on every level, really. Uh, I was at the Melbourne Hawthorne game. I didn't see the first half of it, but I was sort of keeping an eye on the scores. And um, I was sort of having a look up in the, in the press box at the Melbourne Hawthorne game, and you're like, oh, it's four goals to one. What is going on there? Just grim. Um, and clearly the Blues, you know, charged home in that, in that, in that third term and then looked like they were going to win it. Um, they were... Running all over the top, had all the momentum, um, running really well, and they just lapsed late. Uh, the dogs started winning it out of the middle again, and a few of their better players got going and, and were, um, you know, Arthur Jones um, really inspired them late as well. So it was one of those nights for Carlton where, you know, there are things to take out of it, um, but at the end of the day, they did lose, and they're now outside of the eight, having lost, what is it, four of their last five, uh, and with the facing probably the best team in the league this week and then Melbourne a couple of weeks later and Sydney in between. So their season is rapidly um, unravelling. Um, I suppose they, by the fact that they didn't completely throw in the towel means that they sort of hold a little bit of respectability and hopefully for them it gives them some confidence that they're not a million miles off it against a good Bulldog side. But I don't think that was the thing. I don't think they had been a million miles off it. They're just not... The problem with Carlton is the expectation pre-season was so high um, and there's so much impatience that unless they're pushing for the top four, it almost feels like. I mean, I thought last week it was remarkable. I mean, there was all this conversation about Carlton being crisis. They were in the eight. I mean, I know only just, but... Um, and when there's a feeling of crisis when you're in the eight, um, good luck to you if you're outside the eight and that's the position they find themselves in now. Yeah, to me, I, I mean, I, I don't quite see them as a top four team. To me, top four contention is something that happens after you've been in the eight for an extended period of time. But to me, it is a top eight list. There seems to be this rewriting of the narrative around Carlton at the moment from within the Blues that, um, you know, their list needs work, so therefore, you know, it won't be a failure if they don't play finals. To me, it's absolutely a failure if that list doesn't play finals, given the midfield, given the forward line. Um, and obviously, they they do have a bit of work to do at the back line, but they do have Jacob Weedering, Adam Saad, and um, Doherty that can play back there. So um, I think they have to play finals. Otherwise, it's a big cross, and it's a big question mark next to Michael Voss. Uh, I completely agree. I think they, they want for very little. Um, you, know, so you could argue maybe a bit of small forward, maybe a small forward role where, where they've got some younger players who aren't um, you know, pretty inconsistent, which tends to happen with younger players in, in Durden and Motlop. And Matt Owies was very good on Saturday night, it must be said, and he's actually made a difference since he's come back into that side. Um, and then uh, I suppose that there's a bit of that sort of one-paceness through the midfield, albeit Sam Moles provides some good run, but I suppose they lack that sort of chaos, dynamic type player that some, some of the other clubs possess. But I think overall um, that it, they are... Uh, I've used this line many times over the last year or two. They are less than the sum of their parts. Uh, and, you know, until they can at least be equal to the sum of their parts or, or greater than other... You know, I think if you look at a team like Collingwood, that is a team that is greater than the sum of its parts. You look like a team, until at least yesterday, St Kilda, greater than the sum of its parts. 
Brisbane, I think, are probably equal to the Sun. You know, um, there's a lot of talent there and they're playing well. Um, Melbourne are probably the same. Um, and Cal- but Carlton are less than. And, when, and that, that's inherently underperformance. And, um, you know, whether you think they're a top four side or not, I, I think very hard to dispute that they are. When you look at the top end talent on that list, they, that they shouldn't be um, right in the mix of the top eight. And, uh, well, you know, in the top eight. And, yes, they're still in the mix, but um, it's rapidly falling away. Yep, I agree. Um, and less than the sum of its parts is never good for the coach, I don't think. Um, Hawks v Clarko. It's not going swimmingly, given what they achieved together, is it? And uh, now he's not going to attend premiership reunions and he's taken side swipes at, um, at Sam Mitchell in, in addresses. It's, uh, it's an interesting feud that has come between uh, a club and arguably their greatest ever coach. Look, it's unbelievably messy, but I think if we look back, you know, even well before the racism storm, I mean, there was a lot of ill feeling between Hawthorne and, and the Clarks. And, and you look back at what happened in the hub in 2020 in South Australia, um, the animosity between Alistair Clarkson and, and the chief executive, Justin Reeves. Um, you know, Jeff Kennett, I know, no longer formally at Hawthorne, but uh, clearly um, tensions were pretty high between him and Clark, Clarkson by the end. Um, you know, the, the, the very messy um, and... and ill-fated handover, and then it's all been inflamed about tenfold by the, uh, the racism storm and the way that's been handled in the sense from the Clarkson and, and Pagan camps that Hawthorne have, um, mind you, I think they're close, <laughs> close enough to the same camp, you have the same manager, but um, that they uh, were both, um, or that Hawthorne have put this thing out there without enough thought, without enough governance and, and due diligence, and they've sort of uh, opened up this this. A very broad investigation and, and almost set a match and let someone else put out the fire. Um, hence why, you know, Clarkson questioning their governance. So it is very ugly. I, I did read Jay Clark's report around um, the comments um, from Clarkson directed at, about, about Sam Mitchell's grand final performances uh, towards the AFL Academy kids. You know, I think in and of itself, nothing outrageous there, but just when you know the backstory and you know the, the backdrop, you know, it, it's not a great look. Um, you know, Ideally, at this time, Clarkson would be doing his utmost to, to not inflame tensions, but that's probably going to be considered as, as doing so. Uh, and it's very ugly. And, yeah, he, there's no way he's going to be at any official function this year for the Hawks. So I know he's some sort of unofficial get-together of players and staff, you'd think. But um, oh, it's, it's, in some respect, in, a, in, a, in football terms, it, it's tragic. I mean, you've got a dynasty side, four premierships, um, the greatest team of, of the modern era, you'd have to say, um, maybe, maybe Geelong. Uh, pushing them and, and Richmond, obviously, as well. But, um, yeah, clearly one of the great great sides of the modern era. And uh, it's, it's a broken house. Yeah, it's incredibly sad. I, I think that, that so much that was achieved adds up to this at the end of it. I, that, that's just incredibly sad. Dan, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show today and, uh, and sharing your thoughts on Round 9 in the AFL. Looking forward to uh, talking to you again next week. No worries, Duff. Good on you. Daniel Cherney from Code Sports. Uh, make sure you read his stuff on Code Sports. Very, very thoughtful and learned writer and uh, keeps a close eye on everything, including the two WA teams in the uh, AFL. All right. Give us your thoughts on the temperate bedshed text line, 0487 736 736. You can call us on the open line, 13 12 55. We'll take a break.